Welcome back to Sanjiro's Boys, although I guess right now we're Sanjiro's Boys instead. Yeah! <laughs> this is your co-host, Tim Amatuli. And I'm Chris Cote. Today we're watching Sanjiro Sugata 2. <laughs> just kidding, it's just Sanjiro. Yes, the 1962 sequel, quote-unquote, to Yojimbo, Sanjiro. Ostensibly the same guy. He is definitely the same character. It's a sequel in that it ha- it's takes place probably after Yojimbo, but literally could be before. It makes no difference, and it's the same dude. A really strange way to have a sequel, to be this disconnected from the previous film, but I like that. This was originally an adaptation of Shugoto Yamamoto's story, Peaceful Days, but it was rewritten after Yojimbo was such a large success to include Sanjiro, the character, in it instead. That's very odd to me because this entire movie is just Sanjiro. There aren't any other characters that matter. What was it going to be without him? (laughs) Yeah, it would have just been a different dude who only mattered instead of all the other people. It is a little hard to tell because apparently they only used about one third of the script that he wrote and then they just kind of... I think it seems like made it up a little bit on the fly, took a little bit more of a loose approach to this film, which I think does come through, but apparently Kurosawa had a really, really great time making this one. And I can see why, because he really leans into the comedy here. I I believe that. It looks fun. It's very funny. It's very funny and casual, as you were saying. Like, it's just like an easy, breezy, fun, fun movie. Fun for the whole family. Except for the ending. It didn't take me very long to realize, okay, he's really actually making a full-fledged comedy in the same way that he kind of did with Yojimbo, but I think it's more obvious here. Yeah. But really, what we have is a satire film of the traditional samurai movie, which I think is really funny for him in particular to make. Yeah, yeah, for Akira Kurosawa, famous samurai film director. Even though he's not, you really didn't make that many, despite his overwhelming reputation for them, like... Like, films that involve one samurai being the guy, which this is like a satire of. Exactly. As we've seen, most of his movies are contemporary pieces, and he's thought of as this exotic samurai director who makes tons of action. And that really isn't what he did. It's just kind of a foreign perception of him. He never really made a traditional Chambara Jidaigeki film. He made his own types of movies that were seen with more realistic sword fighting instead of the dance that they usually were back at the time. And those movies usually starred very clean-cut, young, honor-bound samurai, which is exactly what this huge group of kids is here. But then he's like, no, here's the real samurai. It's this tired, scruffy old guy who talks really mean to everybody, but he's an incredible fighter. Yeah, every, everything he says like sounds like he's betraying you. <laughs> he doesn't know how to speak except in betrayal, but he's actually very like loyal and a good guy. And that's what I love about the Sanjiro character, and I think we'll get into it more, because I do think he has a lot of really good character building and character moments here, but it's like, he's a good guy, but he's also an asshole. <laughs> he's a ruthless killer who can murder like 100 people at once if he needs to. And uh, I don't know, he's funny. He's cool. I think his main attitude is just like, please don't make me kill you. I'm begging everyone not to fuck up, which I know they will, and then I'll have to fix it, which I will. As you said many times, Mr. Too Damn Honorable Toshiro Mifune reprising his role. That is definitely Toshiro Mifune's like overarching characteristic is Mr. Too Damn Honorable, but finally, at least in Sinjuro, it's like, oh, now it works for him, because now it's like funny. He's now the 55-year-old Mr. Too Damn Honorable who's been so damn honorable his whole life that now he's just kind of fucking around, even though he's doing it for good. This is like the first one where he doesn't get the complete utter shit kicked out of him, too. That's another thing about this movie and also Yojimbo is that the character Sanjuro is like kind of a Mary Sue in that he's omnipotent. He knows everything that's going to happen. He can predict every move. And the only time anything ever goes wrong is when someone else fucks up. 
But then in Centro, even that doesn't happen that much. Like he is just kind of in control the entire time, mostly. Yeah, he he whips them. He like whips them into shape. He's like, I need you guys to stop being idiots and listen to me. Yeah, the worst thing that ever happens to him is he has to kill a bunch of people and then pretend to be captured. I guess that later he is actually captured, but still, yeah. He emerges spotless. So let's get into it. Ayori Azaka, nephew of the Lord Chamberlain Mutsuda, leads a group of young, idealistic samurai determined to root out corruption in their clan's town. They believe Mutsuda is corrupt, but a ronin named Senjuro Tsubaki overhears them and states that the corrupt one may be their superintendent, Kukui. He joins the group to save Mutsuda, who has been captured. They free Ayori's aunt and cousin. The clan's town now believes Mutsuda to be corrupt, but are uncertain how many supporters the Chamberlain still possesses. Sinjuro infiltrates the enemy ranks by taking a job with Kukui's commander, Hanbei Moroto, whom he tricks into believing that there are a great many rebels in the area. Kukui leads his men to a temple where they believe the enemy forces are hiding. Sinjuro infiltrates the superintendent's hideout and prepares to send an attack signal to the other samurai before being caught by Moroto. While tied up, Sinjuro tricks the other men into sending a signal for him. The young samurai storm the hideout and save Mutsuda. Once order has been restored, Sinjuro leaves and is challenged to a fight to the death by Moroto. After a long standoff, Sinjuro prevails and walks off. So yeah, the movie uh, starts on this group of these nine young samurai, and they're having this really impassioned conversation. It's kind of like nice, they're all very into it. Oh, we're going to root out this corruption. We can't trust that dirty old Mutsuta, my uncle. We'll trust this other guy, Kikui, instead, the, the good superintendent. After they have this conversation, suddenly, in the other room, you hear what we learn is Sinjuro be like, wait, hold up, you guys are all stupid as hell. That's all wrong. Let me tell you what's really going on. And his introduction to this movie is wild. They're having this meeting in that abandoned temple, and then Sanjuro is just sleeping there because he's, like, homeless. <laughs> yeah, he's almost, he's, like, sleeping in a different room, so they don't know he's there. He just, like, emerges from the darkness, like, oh, uh, hey, wait. <laughs> I couldn't help but overhear everything you just said, and let me tell you how it's all wrong. I've praised Kurosawa many times for his ability to really just start the movie immediately and get you going and you know exactly what's going on. I do think that the pacing in this movie is a little fast in certain parts. In the beginning, I am a little bit more confused, even though I don't actually think that the whole plot is that complicated, but it's a really complicated way of going about it because so much is said and happens so fast and we don't really get to see a lot of these people that they're talking about for a while. Yeah, it sets up everything in the first conversation. You don't see Mutsuta till the end. Did you recognize him? No, I didn't. He's the novelist from Ikiru. Oh, really? He looked really different here. He's in a few of these movies, but not many. Not as much as most of Kurosawa's ensemble. Yeah, I thought he looked odd, but that makes sense if he's that guy. He's a pretty funny dude. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's super funny. Let's nothing about this movie. We've mentioned before, we should really double down on. It's really funny. I laughed extremely hard at multiple points during this film. Like, way more than I have in any other Kurosawa film, even though they all have some kind of humor to them. This is absolutely one of the funniest. Like I said, really leans into the comedy. I think my favorite running gag in the movie is the prisoner that they have. Oh, yeah. That's what made me laugh every time. These nine idealistic samurai think they're going to, like, finally root out corruption with the help of the good superintendent. And then Sandro tells them what's what. He's like, actually, you only trust the superintendent because he's good looking and you don't trust the chamberlain because he's ugly. But if you think about it, it wouldn't make any sense for the chamberlain to be bad and the superintendent to be good. He's essentially like, have you thought about this for like a moment longer than you might have thought to? Yeah, that's what he always says. But I'm always like, nah, it's Sandro, you just know too much. They get very mad at him because they're like, how dare you like besperch the good name of the superintendent? You don't know what you're talking about. And then his suspicion is immediately confirmed when the place gets surrounded by, like, a thousand samurai. 
Reminded me a little bit of like a Throne of Blood kind of thing, because it's a little more eerie than some of it. He's like moving around in different parts, looking through holes in the wall, and then we keep seeing all these bodies moving closer and closer. We get a little Star Wars Millennium Falcon moment here where he hides everyone under the floorboards and just comes out pretending to live there. And he's like, what are you doing in my swamp? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is our introduction to Hanbei Muroto, who is played by Tatsuya Nakadai, who played the crazy young kid from last time, although now he looks a lot older and has less hair. It is weird for Sanjuro to be the same guy and the villain to also be the same human being, but a different character. You know what, maybe that's why we should be happy that Akira Kurosawa didn't do a lot of sequels, because we know, first and foremost, he will always cast the same people over and over again. So if he was always doing that, we would always have the same hero fighting against the same villain played by the same people, but they were playing different characters. It's like an anthology series at some point. I don't think he looks too much like he did in Yojimbo last time, so it's not a problem. Because I originally thought that Tatsuya Nakadai was playing the main young samurai, Iori Izaka, but that's actually Yuzo Koyama, who we're going to see again as the star of Redbeard. Basically, all the same people playing the same roles. Uh, once again, Takashi Shimura is like a background villain, just like a slimy old guy who's evil. Just as he was in Yojimbo. Yeah, exactly like Yojimbo. But the main villain is uh, Hanbei Moroto, played by Tetsuya Nakadai. And he looks awful. He looks so bad. He has the traditional like shaved head, but with his features, it just looks very strange. Whereas in the previous movie, he had like cool hair. I think he looks a lot older than his years in this one. Looks like Keanu Moody. He's the face of the enemy in this film, and he sends a couple men into Sanjiro's quote-unquote house, and Sanjiro just immediately just wrecks him, and he manages with one push to knock five people out of his house like he's using the force. Yeah, he uses like his sword to like push three people into six more, and they all fall down the stairs. And Moroto's like, nice, if you want a job, hit me up, and then leaves. <laughs> <laughs> I think what Sanjuro does in that scene can be best described as bullying, essentially. Those people come and he just starts like, literally just, like shoving them into walls and shoving them on the ground. <laughs> totally wrecks them and they're like, oh, I guess no one's here but this cranky old asshole. And they all leave. And then it is uh, revealed that they were all hiding on the floorboards in the other room. Sanjuro's about to head out and it's like he's going to be done. But Mr. Too Damn Honorable kicks in and he's like, wait a minute. Doesn't this mean this guy's probably going to be kidnapped? And they're like, oh my god. And he's like... I'm going to help you, essentially, because if I don't help you, I know you're going to die, which is essentially just him condemning them to die. And he's right. Sanjuro, you know, like I was saying earlier, seems to know basically everything that's going to happen before it happens, unless someone on his team fucks up. Yeah, although I do think that that is a very easy assumption to make. It's just underlying the fact that these kids are so stupid that Sanjuro always seems really smart, even though he's actually probably just thinking rationally and no one else is. Maybe. I think Sanjuro comes across a little too knowledgeable of everything in this movie. They make their way into the clan's fortress town, which I really like as a setting. This is a type of environment that I see in a lot of Japanese movies, but we really haven't seen in a period Kurosawa movie, except for maybe the original Sanjuro Sugata, if that. We see that there are guards in Mutsuda's quarters. The group kind of separates and hides in a few different spots, and they're able to free Iori's aunt and cousin who they almost imply he has a sort of love interest in and i'm like is that his cousin it, yeah it is his uncle's daughter as far as we know therefore his cousin i guess it just doesn't matter she has that weird line she's like oh me and iori come here sometimes he goes all wide-eyed and runs away yeah we used to come to the barn and fall asleep and uh one time i fell asleep on top of his arm <laughs> <laughs> and like everyone's like oh that's odd it is treated as a little unusual by like the mother and such and I love her. I love her She's so cool. much. I she thought she was going to be annoying, but she was cool. 
Yeah, she has the template of being an extremely annoying, benevolent old lady. And she is, but it's so endearing. <laughs> She's just always vibing. Like, at any given moment, she cannot help but be vibing. <laughs> She's really the real wise person of the story, who actually, like, Sandra knows what's going on in practical terms, but she, like, knows what's going on in spiritual moral terms, it seems. Yeah, she's the kind of person that you wouldn't think that Sanjiro would learn something from, but he actually does, because she really psychoanalyzes him, and she, I think, has a really great analogy where she's like, you're a sharp sword, but you have no sheath, and so all you do is cut people, and the best sword is kept in its sheath. That's really, I don't know, like, the takeaway from the film, essentially, or, like, the theme or the moral, is that, like, story that she's telling him, and him, like, coming to realize it. Sanjiro really is trying not to kill people, and every time he's forced to, it's always because these other kids just keep messing up and not listening to him, and he puts him in a position where he has to murder. Because of her, they spare the life of one guy that they take hostage when they're trying to get some information out of him. Mitsuda's been taken away, so there's just three guards there, and they kill two and steal one to try and get some information. They're dunking this guy's head in the river, and the mother convinces Sanjiro not to kill him. And then this prisoner, just, he just becomes like a house prisoner for like the resistance for the entire film. Hardly. He's hardly a prisoner because they come back from some mini adventure and he's in Iori's really nice kimono eating food, not bound. And they're like, why are you not held hostage right now? And he's like, oh, the old lady freed me. And he's like, why didn't you run away? And he's like, well, it never occurred to her that I would. So I couldn't. Yeah, he says that, which doesn't make any... I guess he was just like, oh, I would have felt really bad, because she was really nice. <laughs> she told me I could wear the nice kimono, too. Sorry. And then he's like, well, uh, anyway, if you'll excuse me. And then he backs up into the closet where he was originally bound and thrown. <laughs> and just closes it. And he... He's like, yeah, I'll, um, I'll just be going back. <laughs> and that's when I laughed so hard the first time he does that. And every other time he does it. It happens like three times. It's so funny every single time. Because there's a part later on where he's celebrating with all the other people and then they realize like, wait, why are you celebrating with us? And he's like, oh yeah. And then he gets back in the closet. <laughs> it's so funny, man. I, I was like cracking up and like, I was like, oh, this has to get old, right? Never got old. It was funny every time. That's the thing. The comedy really sticks. At least for us, the comedy really, really hits. I haven't laughed this hard since Sanjiro Sugata 2. Or sorry, Sanjiro Sugata 2. Like, I especially think, like, it can be difficult for foreign films to be funny for some people just because, you know, we can't really catch on to, like, people's enunciations quite as hard. This movie was made 58 years ago in Japan. Yeah. And it's funnier than any movie I've seen in America in the last decade. He keeps saying, like, you know, I overheard what you guys are saying, and uh, I think you guys are making some points. He, like, really comes to believe in their side, even though he's just a henchman for the villain. He gets served in the marketplace of ideas. The gang is kind of spread out a little bit. And to touch on the gang really quick, it is a shame we really don't get to know any of them. This, I feel like, is essentially what Seven Samurai would have been if we didn't have that first hour and a half of getting to know everybody. No one ever really gets a name besides Iori. There's one dude who's got that weird scrunched up face who is antagonistic towards Sanjiro, but I don't really know who he is. He's like the only one that's even identifiable. And there's one that's like kind of good looking who's like the voice of reason between those two sides. And that's it. There's, like, no other character development along these nine guys. You know what is kind of an understated joke is the fact that these guys are so war-ready and willing to go fight and die. It's the fact that they never get to fight. Not even once, yeah. I remember this movie, like Yo Jimbo, being more action-packed than it actually is. And I was like, oh yeah, because we have this group of ten samurai, so he gets into all these big fights. No. These guys, every time they run in, they never get to do anything. <laughs> And the one time they do, they get beaten up. <laughs> yeah, the only time they ever fight is they fight Sanjuro by accident, and he just, like, kicks their ass and, is, like, knocks them over. And that's it. 
at the end, they'll surround the guys and draw their swords, but they don't stab anybody or do anything. They just are there. It's like, yeah, you guys really want to do this, but you really shouldn't. That's the point. They do have that thing where they all get ready for battle. And like every time they get ready to fight, Cinder is just sitting there like doing nothing, like bored, like not paying attention. And he's like, all right, guys, stop. You're not fighting. I'm going to go do it. And I think it makes sense to have these guys be a major focus of the movie because Kurosawa, in his mind, he makes movies for the young Japanese audience of the time. So these are the kinds of people that he's trying to get his messages across to. He's saying, these guys are you. So let me teach you something, as Sinjuro. I'm like, don't be beguiled by the spectacle of violence. Sinjuro is a very impressive fighter and does beautiful, spectacular violence. And they're always amazed. And Sinjuro's like, it's not the point. You shouldn't want to do this. You shouldn't want this at all. Yeah, I don't like doing this. I'm good at it. And that's why I do it. But I don't want to do it. But they reach an impasse where they have the two women, but the enemy still has Mutsuda, Kikui, and the rest. They are trying to, like, essentially bait these ten samurai or the resistance, as far as they know, into, like, acting up. So they can scapegoat them or capture them or whatever. So they do lots of things like moving their palaquins around with no one in it, hoping that, like, the resistance fighters will come ambush them. And they almost do, but it doesn't work. Yeah, and they have, like, a sign that claims that Mutsuda is the traitor when in reality they're not, which is, again, a whole nother illusion versus reality type story of this deception, but then there's the actual situation. This thing, like, actually happened in Brazil, like, last year. The superintendent is like, oh, the leader is corrupt, so we're taking off corruption. Meanwhile, he's actually the corrupt one, but they're trying to, like, sway public opinion. The one thing that this little group has as their advantage is that the corrupt people have no idea how large the resistance movement is. So Sanjiro is kind of trying to sow seeds of doubt that there's a ton of them. And so, yeah, they don't know that they're just looking for 10 completely incompetent boys who are literally living in the building next to where Mutsuda is being held. That is one of the things about the movie. Like, we know from the very beginning that they're looking for the guy who's right next to them. And finally, they're like, oh, my God, he's right next to us. I'm like, yeah, come on. <laughs> there was nothing they could do, but I love the sense of place that we get there because they have this beautiful river that runs between the walls of the two of them. There's a camellia tree that constantly drops flowers into the river and they flow into where their space is. Korofuji's house, Takashi Shimura, once again, a slimy old villain. It's his house with the beautiful camellia garden. That's where this is all happening. Sanjiro says, the enemy will never look right under his nose, so we'll stay right next to them because they'll never find us here. There's that great montage of him trying to sleep and they keep opening and shutting doors, coming in being like, oh, I saw these people moving this way. Oh, I think I checked over there. There might have been someone. This guy just wants to sleep. <laughs> he gets mad about it. He's like, well, I'm not going to sleep anyway. I might as well follow you. This is them like falling hand in glove for the villain's plot. Following the bait that's laid out specifically for them falling so easily and so just ignores it because he knows it's all fake he says if it's too good to be true it is yep another life lesson for young japanese boys they do go over there and then right at the last moment they stop because an army of people come to try and kill the resistance which is them but they get misidentified as the resistance by the evil guys and then syndrome's like yeah told you idiots but anyway he says uh yeah i'm gonna go sign up for hanbei i'll see you and this starts a fight among the nine resistance samurai of people who think that he meant that literally and people who think that he meant that figuratively <laughs> Yeah, he couldn't say, I'm going to go fake sign up for Hanbei to help our cause. He just says, I'm going to go sign up with Hanbei. Bye. <laughs> so funny. And they really do say like, no, he's just being sarcastic. No, he's actually terrible. <laughs> he's only looking out for himself. No, this guy literally made us pay him because he saved our life. Why wouldn't he take this job? We're like, no, he's just homeless. Just like Yojimbo, everyone just wants to hire Sanjiro because he's so good. So eventually a compromise is reached where they are going to follow him, but it's going to be two people who believe he's good, two people who don't, 
and they're all four are gonna follow him and try and see what he's actually up to yeah and because of that he's being followed and then sanjiro is like now i have to handle them because if i'm not the one who does it then hanbei is just gonna murder him <laughs> he's gotta fake beat them up or actually does legitimately hit some of them he like beats them up he doesn't he does often he'll like fight with the sheath on the sword bludgeoning people which i think is what he does here he gets the four of them all tied up this is i think where he does a classic yojimbo move he says you know we should probably go send some people to guard something else Hanbei sends three people and he's like you know i'll go with them then he runs out he walks up and he's like hey i'm going with you guys now he like kind of looks away for a second and he kills them all really fast burns back he's like they've been murdered <laughs> oh no we're all trying to find the guy who did this he's being the imposter yeah absolutely he runs back this is very similar to the scene in yojimbo where he's like all six guys guarding the woman are dead <laughs> but in that one uh he kills him after he says that or in this one he just kills him and walks back this, you know, prompts Hanbei to freak out and try and go uh, alert the others that the resistance is growing and murdering people in the street. And then we get Toshiro Mifune's single most impressive fighting moment in any Kurosawa movie, where he takes out 10 people in basically one shot. The choreography is out of control. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, he like walks back and he's like been put in charge of the villain army, essentially, at this point. The man they hired about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, he's just that damn good. So he walks in, there's like a lot of like awkward glances where he's like, can you guys just like go get in line? Whatever, just like just walk away. And then he starts freeing the four resistance guys. Everyone's like, wait a minute. Wait, what are you doing? And then he's like, oh, finally, he kills them all. <laughs> it's brutal. You know I had to do it to him. It's like, really, there's like people being thrown onto the gates, opening the gate and slamming the gate like with their dead bodies. <laughs> a slaughter. And he doesn't want to do it. He feels bad about it. He's like, all this was because you guys fucked up. Yeah, and he viciously slaps them. Oh yeah, he slaps brutal. them so hard they all collapse, which they deserve. Because if they had just trusted him, it would have been fine. Yeah, they're idiots. The thing is, though, like, literally, if he wanted to betray them, there were even easier ways for him to do it. He could have just killed them all. He easily could have killed all of them if he if he wanted to, but he doesn't because he's a cool dude. Yeah, he's actually a good guy. And he knows they're in the right in this case. If there's one thing Sanjiro hates, it's corruption. After killing everyone, he tells the four guys, all right, now you have to tie me up and pretend like, oh, you guys did all this. So he gets tied up, and Hanbei comes back. He's like, oh my god, what happened? He was like, we are outnumbered. There was hundreds of them. There's nothing we could do. And he's like, listen, I just started working for you. I'm not honor-bound like these other fools. I wasn't going to die for you, so I just surrender. Yeah, Hanbei's clearly thinking, you could have taken on any army. And his excuse had to be, oh, I didn't, I didn't want to die, so I just gave up. <laughs> he's like, well, you disgraced me terribly. He's like, yeah, I'm very sorry. He gets laid off. He's like, I'll win your trust back. I'll go uh, find the resistance leader who did this. <laughs> And then he's like immediately back eating food and drinking or whatever with them. I think in the next scene he's drunk. And he's like, you guys are all so incompetent. I'm going to be 70 years old by the time you find this guy who's next door. Yeah, they're back to square. I think this is when they realize he's next door because the old woman finds a note in the stream after seeing a camellia brush by. Before the movie started, Iori and his gang sent Mutsuda a petition about what they want to be done about corruption. And he tore it up right in front of them. But he had it still in his robe, so he was able to send it down that river. And they take that as a signal that he is, okay, we now know he's over there. They look over, and it's full of guards. There's tons of people in this very small property. So they're back to square one, essentially, if they know he's next door. And Sindro has to come up with another plan. He's like, all right, now he thinks I'm a vagabond, and I'm looking for you. So are there any temples nearby that I could, quote-unquote, sleep at and claim to have seen a whole army of people? The only advantage that we have is that they think there are thousands of us, even though there's only 10. <laughs> like, how can we use that? Oh, I'll say I found the army. They're all hiding out here, and then they'll go off to fight them. They come up with Komyo Temple as the gate that he was sleeping at. 
when he tells Hanbei that they send a lot of people out there. Yeah, they're going to go crush the resistance at Komyo Temple. And his story was, oh, I was just sleeping on the second story of the gate, you know, like the homeless by my am. And that's why I <laughs> saw the people rush in. Like the homeless, excellent fighter I am. That's when the best character in the movie, the prisoner, is suddenly like, um... <laughs> hey guys, really sorry, couldn't help it overhearing. Komyo Gate doesn't have a second story, they're gonna see through. <laughs> Back to like, my closet. <laughs> yeah, no, bye, sorry. I'm sorry, I really just... <laughs> and they're literally like, okay, well, we didn't realize that immediately, so maybe they won't either. They're like, now we're, <laughs> we're going purely on hope that that it's happens. That's excuse. But while that's going on, Sanjiro isn't there, he's already with the others... He does convince them to leave, and basically everyone leaves except for Hanbei. Because Hanbei's like, yeah, you'll uh, you'll come with me, right? It's like, oh, I'm uh, really hungry. <laughs> can't eat on an empty stomach. Could you get me some food? So he like gets food from this procession, and he's like very anxious, you can tell, because he's trying to give the signal that everyone's gone and that it's time to do the uh, uh, ambush. But he can't, because he keeps being distracted. They say, we'll send the camellias down the river as the signal to come. Kikui leads the soldiers, Hanbei stays behind with Sanjiro and the other elder corrupt officials. He starts to realize, think something's up, and then one of the old guys suddenly has the epiphany, there's no second gate. So it did take a little while for them to realize it. Yeah, there's like the simultaneous thing where Sanjiro runs out and starts picking camellias really fast. Hanbei's like, what the fuck, like, what are you doing? He's like, I like camellias. He's like, I'm really tired of this. And that's when the old guy runs out and says, wait, Kyomo Gate doesn't have a second floor. It's <laughs> such a funny, like, detail. And he's like, damn it. And then he ties him up. Just his arms, like, full of flowers. You're like, how do I, a god-level samurai, justify this? Yeah, why am I just, like, ripping camellias off this garden when I'm supposed to be eating and going to fight? Just, oh, I like camellias. It's so funny. They don't kill him. They tie him up. I just love Sanjiro so much because he is so smart. He tricks them. Yeah, Hanbei runs off to go get all the people back because they know something must be going down. He tricks the old guys by being like, you know, oh boy. If, I, if I don't send a signal soon, they're gonna attack. They're waiting for me to send the abort signal. If you want me to tell you what it is, you have to pay me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give me 50 gold. They're like, what's the signal? Come on, it must have been chameleons. He convincingly plays up enough to get to the point where eventually they're just gonna threaten his life. And he's like, okay, fine, you win, big guy. Red signal means attack, white signal means stop. Send all those white camellias down. Tons of them. And they start just, it's just like Takashi Shimura smacking trees, knocking down like entire branches to get camellias down. And it is so many that come down that river. Hundreds. It rules. It's really pretty. You can't see the water. It's just white. It's just flower. And like the brave young boys are running to what they think is battle. And then the girls are just like, oh, look how pretty the flowers are. Yeah, yeah. That's a little stuff like that. <laughs> the signal has been sent. They're going to ambush. And they do. Uh, all the women of the house run screaming because they're being chased by the guys with swords and they surround them. And they pull it off. Yeah, they steal the guy. It's been set up at this point that like if they get the Chamberlain back, it's over. They will no longer be able to convince the public that he's corrupt. The Chamberlain can just explain everything and then they're done for. There's a little bit of a time jump, probably a couple days or a week or something. I wish we could have seen a little bit more of it because it's a little abrupt, but not a big deal because it really isn't important. It's more just the story MacGuffin to get it all to happen. Yeah, presumably the Chamberlain just like comes out and says, hey, they lied, they did this, arrest them. Yeah, the whole movie is banking on once we get this guy, this will happen and it will work. And it does. Mutsuda, we finally see him and he's just like... I really admire you guys. I know what you were trying to do. I was trying to handle it differently, and it didn't work. Yeah, I was just going to get them all to retire quietly, but I guess uh, this is fine, too. <laughs> yeah, and now this guy had to go kill himself, so... 
Like, I got this guy committing Harakiri, and now I can't explain that away any other way. Yeah, tough. And he spends, like, half of his speech making jokes about how he has a long face like a horse. Yeah, which he does. But they're like, oh, we're so sorry. He's like, no, I should have inspired confidence. This stupid horse face of mine always gets me into trouble. You know, one time a long time ago, <laughs> uh, I was riding on a horse. And some guy was like, wow, that rider has a face longer than the horse. And everyone, including the lady, laughs. I do like seeing such a stoic display of the samurai sitting there, and then they all just start laughing. Yeah, it's really cute. It's very sweet. It fits the cheeky atmosphere of the movie so well to subvert the normal samurai images. They want to give Sanjiro money and a really nice kimono and stuff, but he's already gone. And they chase him down, and I gotta hear this from you. How did you react to this insane finale? This is the craziest shit I ever saw. I, my, my eyes were, like, wide open. I was like, what? I thought it was like, actually, I did think it was a mistake at first. I was like, that can't. Why would that have happened? But let's <laughs> let's just explain it. Who cares? As a little story. So <laughs> they see Sinjuro. He's walking away. And then it's revealed that he's actually out there with Hanbei. And then Hanbei's like, we got to fight. And Sinjuro's like, I really don't want to. Hanbei's like, no, I'll never be able to live with myself after you, like, kicked my ass so many times. Metaphorically. He's like, fine. If we do fight, one of us will die. They stand there for what feels like three whole minutes, but it's probably like, you know, 50 seconds. About 15 seconds. And they fight, and within one second, Sinjiro has sliced Hanbei open, and he explodes into a, a bomb of blood. It's insane. <laughs> There's even, like, music that, like, is, like, sh like, shocking music as he just, like, stands there, eyes wide open, and just exploding into blood, and then collapses. It's crazy. And there has been no blood in this movie. They even say, your sword has blood on it. If you look, there's no blood on his sword. Like, none. <laughs> the tech isn't really there to do super sophisticated slashes in the way that they're shot. Kurosawa really likes to capture the samurai action in long takes, unbroken takes. If he wanted to have it be really gory and everything, he'd have to keep cutting to close-ups of torsos being cut and things like that. It just wouldn't work with what he had at his disposal, probably. But here is the first time we've truly gotten an insane amount of blood out of anybody. In other movies, there has been, like, you kill people and there's blood on the ground and there's blood on the sword. Like, all the violence, and there's been a lot of it, has been, like, very clean, and then this guy just explodes. They said, like, we didn't really know what was going to happen when we filmed it. I watched an interview with Tatsuya Nakadai where he said, I knew I had this blood tube in my chest. They didn't really tell us what to do. We stood against each other for a long time. I finally drew my sword, and Mifune is just a little bit faster than me. And he cut across my chest, and the next thing I knew, my whole body was shooting blood out, and I just collapsed. I assume everyone who's listening has watched the movie. You gotta see this. It is one of the absolute best Kurosawa endings. I mean, I think it's this one, Throne of Blood, and Akiru are just... They're great movies, and then they end with their strongest images. He knows how to punctuate the movie, and it just leaves you with your mouth wide open, and Sanjiro walks away, and we see him do the shoulder thing that he always does in Yojimbo. They play the same music from the Yojimbo. He's got the Yojimbo theme playing when Sanjiro is alone, and there's also a new theme for the group of nine samurai boys, and it's very fun. It's a really good theme. I really like it. It's kind of silly and also heroic. I think it fits them really well. And he's just saying, like, you guys look up to me, but this isn't a good thing. You shouldn't want to do this. That old lady was right. Yeah, Kurosawa tries to literalize the violence, I think, with that burst of blood. He's like, if you haven't got it yet, it's violent. <laughs> like, it's bloody. It's bad. And those kids didn't know it either. They didn't know that that blood spurt was coming. So he gets really great reaction shots out of them. Oh, yeah. No, they look, they look as shocked as I felt. There's, like, some weird little dialogue. They, like, keep following him. He's like, if you follow me, I will kill you. I cannot stress this enough. It's like, well... 
see you around. And then, da, da, like, the fun Yojimbo music, and he walks away. Exactly the same way that Yojimbo ends, which is just so fitting for this character. We already touched on it, but for me, my favorite shot is that blood spurt, because it is just so crazy. I just love how much tension he's able to build in that moment by just holding the camera on the two of them. I thought Sanjuru might have, like, died or something to, like, end his character or whatever. But I was like, no, it wouldn't make sense. That would be a really sad note to end this very funny movie on. Well, I, I thought this might have been Mifune's last film. I knew it was coming soon. So I was like, that'd be a way to, that'd be a way to end him, <laughs> is to kill him off here. Yeah, we got two more with him. My shot is uh, from the very beginning of the film. It's the scene right at the beginning when he's like, you guys are going to get ambushed. Like, I can, I can tell this is going to happen. And he's like, yeah, I'll deal with it. You guys just hide. So he goes out, he deals with it, he walks back, and I just, like, knew, I was like, those kids are going to be sitting there, like, dumbfounded. And then he walks in, he walks to the back room, and there's no one there, and then they all pop their heads up out of the floorboards. And they just look at him, dumbfounded, like a bunch of prairie dogs or whatever, looking shocked. And I, like, knew it was going to happen, I just knew it was going to look basically exactly like that. It was, like, a perfect little shot. It was very funny in the way the whole movie is very funny. I think it, like, is a good little tone indicator for, like, what the whole film was going to be like. I considered picking that shot because I really liked that too. I really liked how it was each of them coming up like one at a time. And there's always like a little music thing every time one of them comes up. It goes on for so long because there's so many of them down there that it just, it like is funny. And then you like kind of stop laughing and then it keeps going and it becomes funny again. (laughs) Could it be possible for the Toshiro Mifune hotness scale to break because he looks even better than he did in Yojimbo? (laughs) Yes, he does look better than he did in Yojimbo, and so I will finally deign <laughs> to give him. <laughs> he doesn't get the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, he's not, like, bloody and fucking <laughs> breaking. He's like, actually, I liked his character more in this film. I thought, like, this situation was very good for him. Because in, in Yojimbo, he's, like, almost an asshole how much he's, like, just fucking with these awful people. Or in this one, he's, like, really, you know, trying to help. So I really liked him. He looked good. He looked hot. He was cool. Ten. Ten. You know, it feels inevitable to compare Sanjuro to Yojimbo. They're, like, paired together. Sanjuro was a lot breezier, funnier but not necessarily, like, better than Yojimbo. It, it was fun, and I liked it a lot, and it was very solid, but it wasn't, like, this, like, beautifully woven story where everything connects and makes sense and works together. I thought it was very good, even for, like, just a fun movie. I, nine. I will give it a nine. <laughs> I agree. For me, yeah, it was, like, somewhere between an eight and a nine. I think the movie is so fun and so enjoyable that it does eke up to a nine for me. I do think it's not as tight as Yojimbo. It's lacking some of, like, the more contemplative elements of Kurosawa's films, even though it has some of that. It just, like, it works not as well. I mean, this is almost like a cheap Kurosawa sequel, except that really would not properly convey how good the movie is. It just isn't as well constructed as a lot of the other movies. Some parts of it just don't feel up to what Yojimbo was, which I feel like is a total masterpiece and is him at 100% capability. Yeah, Yojimbo feels perfect. This movie didn't feel perfect. It was just good but I still think that it's actually a really good samurai movie for just people to see if they would like to check out Kurosawa on his own. It's, I think, very accessible, and it's not that long either. It's under 100 minutes, so it's even shorter than Yojimbo. You get a lot of funny moments, a couple glimpses of really cool action, and a great ending. It's a 9 for me. And we got another good one coming, going back to contemporary times with High and Low, otherwise known as Heaven and Hell. A lot of duality in this one, if you couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah, I wonder if we'll compare those two ideas. (laughs) I am very excited to watch High and Low again. I've seen it a couple times, and I really like it. We will definitely have a lot to talk about in that one. Oh, yeah, it's a long one, too. It's a big one, but I think it has one of Kurosawa's very best premises. Ooh, cool. These are Sanjiro's boys signing off. Yeah, Sanjiro, yeah. Friendship ended with Sanjiro. Sanjiro's boys now? (laughs) 